Good morning again. My name's John, and I am privileged to get to share the first message of the year here at Grace Harbor. So I'm glad that you all have joined us this morning. Uh, thanks first to Sam, who taught us last week, uh, and he shared a message titled, Let Us Consider, and he taught us from Hebrews chapter 10, and he had a lot to share uh, from just a single verse, Hebrews 10.24, and he did a great job of opening up that passage, and if you didn't get a chance to see that live, I suggest you watch it on uh, either the app or on the website, because it was really good, and I want to thank Sam for bringing us that challenge uh, last week. Welcome, though, to 2024. Yep. Well, I was reading, and research has shown that there has been a decline in Bible reading, certainly over the last generation or so, but it's kind of sped up over the last 10 or 12 years. Uh, a recent study uh, survey showed that more than half of Americans had read little or none of the Bible. And most often, they made, their excuse was they just didn't place a priority on Bible reading, or they just didn't feel like they had time for it. Uh, even among churchgoers, Protestant churchgoers, 32% say they read the Bible every day. That's not bad. And 27% read it a few times a week. But these numbers have gotten worse over uh, the, the last few years, especially since the pandemic and the isolation effects that went along with COVID. And that's just people reading the Bible, right? Then there's this idea of actually understanding, knowing the Bible, being biblically literate. Al Mohler, he's the leader of the Southern Baptist Church Convention. He's, uh, he wrote that 82% of Americans actually think that God helps those who help themselves is a Bible verse. And before we laugh too much, those identifying as born-again Christians did better by 1%, 81% of people thought that was a Bible verse. A Barna poll that I read said 12% of adults in the U.S. think that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. More than 50% of high school seniors thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife, and that Billy Graham is the one who preached the Sermon on the Mount. Kind of scary. Now, I'm not here to poke any fun at anybody who might have fa fallen for one of those or got something wrong, but I do want to point out that it's important to have a basic knowledge of the Bible because, frankly, your eternity is, is at stake. So what's the point of being biblically literate? It's not to impress our post-Christian world. So why do you think God preserved his word? Why did God use human authors inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen his word? Because we believe all scripture is God-breathed. Why did he give us this book here? Well, this book is all about his son, Jesus. 
the Christ, the Messiah. And it's through reading his word, growing in knowledge that we learn about and then can enter into a relationship with Jesus who understands our sufferings, our human condition. And it's Jesus that's able to rescue us. So how do we get to know this Jesus and obtain faith, salvation, peace with God, eternal life? We get to know about the Word incarnate by reading the written Word, the Scriptures. See, if we don't read our Bible, we don't grow in knowledge, and we won't get to know Jesus, and we have the possibility of missing out on God altogether. Well, this is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. We believe that the Scriptures are indeed God-breathed, and they're profitable, and I'm going to say the word essential for teaching, for proof, reproof and correction and training in righteousness that the, the man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we here are starting off 2024 fresh, and we're going to keep the dust off of our Bibles, and we're going to be starting a new series through Peter's second epistle. That's another name for a letter. So this is his second letter to the churches. And we're calling this whole sermon series The Truth of the Gospel. The, the entire letter seems to be focusing on encouraging believers in their knowledge of God and this knowledge of the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It produces certain qualities in his followers. And this letter also encourages the believers to stay strong, stay focused on the truth, and it warns people about false teachings and false teachers. And Peter wants them and us to be able to discern truth and tell it apart from false teaching. And further, he's, he's really eagerly anticipating the return of Christ, that is the second advent of Christ. And today we're going to be reading the first two verses, basically what's listed in your Bible and mine as well as the greeting. So let's do that. May God bless the reading of his holy word. 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I'd like to ask you for understanding. Would you help us to understand this morning? Lord, we thank you for another day to work and to learn in your kingdom. And I thank you for using ordinary people like Peter to do your work. Thank you, Lord, that you were willing to bless Peter with faith through righteousness 
in Christ. Lord, would you use this time to help us to grow in that knowledge of Christ? Would you multiply grace and peace unto us in the knowledge of Jesus? And it is in his name we pray these things. Amen. So the title of this message is not Knowledge is King, but rather Knowledge of the King. You've no doubt heard knowledge extolled as a wonderful virtue and a, a powerful force, and it, it is. Knowledge is often referred to as power, and that harkens back to Francis Bacon, who said, he quoted uh, saying that, um, the knowledge and the truth of the truth, are, th these are wonderful things. And knowledge of the king himself is actually it has incredible benefits, to say the very, very least. And we'll indeed talk about knowledge in this message, but I want to start out by doing a fair bit of study about this human author, Peter. I want to do a little character study of this key disciple, Simon, Simeon Peter. Who was Peter, and how does he fit in? Then I want to shift gears some, and I'm going to examine the audience that he's writing to, and finally, a little bit about what he's writing about, knowledge, and how knowledge of the truth manifests itself in grace and peace in our lives. So who's Peter? Well, this is a little chart of the disciples. Peter is one of the 12 disciples. Simeon, or Simon Peter, that's the same guy, Simeon, Simon, Simon Peter. Don't confuse him, though, with just plain Simon. Simon's way over on the right. He's the second from the right. There's a, so there's another guy named Simon. But Peter, he has a brother, Andrew. He's also one of the 12. James and John, those are the sons of Zebedee. You might have heard them called Bonerges, sons of thunder, because of their attitude and their <laughs> machismo. Uh, Philip, there's Bartholomew. Thomas, remember he was the one who doubted. Matthew, he's the one who replaced Judas Iscariot. James, Thaddeus, Simon, not Simon Peter, different Simon. And Judas, not Iscariot. Notice that Peter is listed here first, and he often is whenever you see lists of the disciples, uh, noted in the Gospels anyway. That's because he was often the spokesperson for the group, and he had a special place in leadership amongst the disciples, and it was one that was apparently endorsed by Jesus himself. But Peter when you read about him, he's far from perfect. And that's actually really comforting and good news for a guy like me and perhaps you, who is also far from perfect. Because one of the things that Peter demonstrates, one of the things that I think he proves is that you don't have to be flawless to follow the lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus, you don't, you don't have to be flawless. You just have to recognize Jesus for who he is. And Jesus, the king, he will help 
you. He will work with you in spite of your flaws and in spite of your mess and sin. He consistently cleans us up and puts us back out on the field to do his work. Case in point, uh, Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, this is Jesus calling the first disciples. Among them is this guy named Simon Peter. Let me read that for us. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking, and they, they signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came, and they filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. For he and all who were with them were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. Point here is Jesus, uh, Peter immediately recognizes Jesus for who he is. He leaves everything and follows him. And Peter is found in the Gospels all over, not to mention the book of Acts. But I want to give you some examples just from the Gospels, and we're going to dive into a few of them in detail. But I want, to, I want you to see the prominence of Peter in the Gospel accounts. We just read the first one there. Peter was called to leave everything and follow Jesus Jesus heals Peter's own mother-in-law. Peter is then, uh, he's named as the first disciple in, in lists of the 12 in all three Gospels. Uh, Peter, the, uh, he's the spokesperson whenever the woman that had the bleed that wouldn't stop, uh, he's the spokesperson when she touches Jesus. Peter, along with James and John, they're there at the raising of Jairus's daughter. And people often know and remember that Jesus walked on water, but they might forget the fact that Peter did too, at least for a little while. And Peter made numerous statements in the Gospels. When people would leave Jesus and, and walk away, he said things like, Lord, where shall we go? You're the one who has the words of life. Peter's also the one who was consistently asking Jesus to explain his parables and what, what they meant. That's an indication he was, he was paying attention, at least sometimes. 
And famously, Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah in Matthew 16. I, I want to I read that one for us. It's a pretty important one. It's often called the Great Confession. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter is the one that replied, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but do you get the sense that Jesus has a lot of confidence in Peter? Apparently he does. He's just appointed Peter as leader of the early church. Also want you to notice, to whom does Jesus attribute this knowledge that Peter obtained? Not flesh and blood, not man. My Father in heaven gave you that knowledge, Peter. Way too many words on this slide. Don't even try and read it. I'm trying to give you the idea, uh, make the point that Peter was there and he witnessed a lot. But I will read a, a few of these just briefly. Uh, Jesus rebukes Peter. Remember when he was foretelling his own death and Jeter, uh, Peter's arguing with him? And he says, uh, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, Peter was there with Jesus at the transfiguration. Peter then asks Jesus about the extent of forgiveness, where he says, how many times do I forgive my brother? As many as seven times. Peter and John, they're the ones that are sent to prepare the Passover meal right before Jesus is arrested. And remember Peter's response to Jesus as he attempts to wash his feet. Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says, well, if I don't do that, I can't have anything to do with you. And so he changes his tune really quick, and he says, well, not just my feet, but how about my hands and my head too? And then Jesus foretells of Peter's denial, and then Peter is there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's one of the ones that falls asleep and then Peter attacks the servant of the high priest whenever they come to arrest Jesus, and he cuts off his ear with a sword. Peter then denies Jesus three times, just like Jesus told him he would do. Remember, he said the very last time, I'm, I'm telling you, I don't know the man. Peter is one of the ones that runs to the tomb 
of Jesus to discover that he's, he's not there, the tomb is empty. Then Peter catches fish at the encouragement of the risen Christ. He doesn't know who he is, but he's catching fish. And lastly, in spite of all that mess, all the, all the fall, falling asleep and the failures, inattention to detail, sometimes violent behaviors, and the famous denials, Peter is reinstated by Jesus, where Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know everything. You know that I love you. And he says, then feed my sheep. That's Peter. That's the guy that wrote this letter that we're studying. That's quite a resume, isn't it? And he, at this point in his life, he's an old man. And he knows his end is near. And I want us to understand that, that this is what Peter's platform is. And he wrote these words. Simeon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Peter was there from the very beginning. He saw all that. Think of that. He was an eyewitness to many events and miracles of Jesus. I've often wondered about that, especially when I was younger, both physically and younger in the faith, what that must have been like. I almost questioned, I'm certain I did question, how Peter, who walked with the Lord for those years, saw all those things, and probably more that we don't even know about, and he struggles. He struggles with faith and following his master. If a guy like that, with that kind of intimate knowledge, has a hard time, what are my chances? And here he says he's writing to those who have obtained a faith equal in standing with his? Wow. How do we obtain a faith like that? Well, he tells us it's by putting our faith in the right place. It's by putting it in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how. It's not in our abilities. Peter's abilities failed him. Our abilities will fail us. You see, the gospel is really quite simple. Jesus had to be Peter's righteousness. Had to be. Because Peter is not a righteous man. Remember, he said right from the beginning, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Peter knew what his standing was outside of Jesus and his righteousness. And Peter was adamant that we place our faith in him, in Christ Jesus, not in Peter. 
and that the readers wouldn't fall for some of these false teachings that were going around. They were starting to emerge. And in that day, the prevalent one was called Gnosticism. Starts with a G, what a weird word. But Gnostics taught that you were saved when you acquired special knowledge. They actually kind of lorded it over people. It was a source of pride for them. Special knowledge has been revealed to me, therefore I'm saved. They'd be the first ones to tell you that knowledge is power and that knowledge is king. And I don't want to follow this rabbit trail too far, but I do want us to be aware of this because Peter in this letter, what he's doing is he's poking holes in this belief system and he's pointing it out for the nonsense that it is. And he's using his platform to make the point. So what does Peter say? He starts with who he is. I am an eyewitness to Jesus. Everything we just talked about, plus some, he was there. He saw it all. And Peter says he's writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing to his own. Did I read that right? Equal to his own? It's just crazy. Yes, and it's true. And it's because of Jesus and his righteousness, of whom Peter is a servant. There's not some special knowledge here. There's no secret handshake. We are all equal and in need. The ground is truly level at the foot of the cross. Even the apostles are there. They're beneficiaries just like us. They are in need of rescue. The knowledge of Christ and his gospel, that's the only knowledge that you need to be saved. Now, it's been months since I've said it, but I'm going to remind you, if you get Jesus right, you get everything right. If you get him wrong, you get everything wrong. What we need is more knowledge of the king, the truth. And Peter and the other apostles, they're all saying essentially the same thing. They're pointing to Jesus and his righteousness. That's their salvation, their freedom too. The apostle John, he captures it similarly in his gospel. Uh, chapter 8, and verse 31 and 32, he says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's the truth and the knowledge that we find in our Bible that leads to a relationship with Christ. That's God's entire purpose for giving us our Bible, so that we would come to know Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And as we grow in that knowledge of Jesus, it leads to grace and peace multiplying. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, when I prepare messages, I, I read a whole bunch of different translations. I almost always preach from the English Standard Version, the ESV. But one of the translations I, I really like to read 
It's called the Amplified Bible. And here's what it does. It tends to explain and clarify certain key words and the meanings behind those words. Now, you regulars are really shocked about that, right? John, the word nerd, likes the Amplified Bible because it talks in word nerd language. Yeah, Guilty, guilty as charged. I'm good with that. The reason I bring it up, though, is that there are two words in, the, in Peter's salutation that we tend to gloss over. Those words are grace and peace. And they sound like niceties, right? But they're actually loaded. And the Amplified Bible, well, it calls them out in their importance, their magnitude. So let me just read verse 2 from the Amplified Bible. It says, May grace, defined as God's favor, unmerited favor, by the way, you cannot earn it. May grace... God's favor and peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary good, all spiritual prosperity and freedom from fears and agitating passions and moral conflicts. That sounds like peace versus just our human condition of chaos, fear, passions, conflict. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Notice that this also clarifies what is meant by knowledge. Not, not special knowledge, no secret handshake, right? But it is precise and it is correct and notice that word personal. Love that word personal. Personal knowledge, something that you have to obtain for yourself. No one else can do it for you. Personal knowledge of the king. So how do we get that? How do we obtain personal knowledge of the king? Well, we do it by reading and studying our Bibles and we allow that book to infuse knowledge from above. And we recognize the Bible as the authoritative word of God, written to tell us about his son who came to earth on a rescue mission, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life that we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve, and was buried for three days. That is, before God raised him from the dead. Thereby conquering sin, death, evil, and the evil one. Do you think this might be worth reading? I, I do. And I think it's something that we should be teaching our children and our families and our neighbors. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, we have them in the foyer, and we'd love to give you one today. There are reading plans out there. And I, I want to remind you that we have a bunch of opportunities throughout the week. Sunday school, Scott talked about Sunday school, started up again this uh, today. 
There are adult classes. There are children's classes. Guess what we study in there? The Bible. Further, there's a men's group that meets on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. There's a women's study on Wednesday, 7 p.m. They read the Bible. And there's numerous youth studies. I encourage you to see Sam and find out about those. We really want you to take advantage of these opportunities to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. He's the king, and there's an awful lot riding on it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for sending Jesus to save us. And I thank you for the truth of his gospel. Thank you for using broken vessels like Peter in your work. Lord, would you help us to recognize Jesus for the king that he is? Similarly, Lord, would you help us to value and study your written word, the scriptures, so that we gain knowledge of him and grow in grace and peace? It's because of and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.